0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This program is made possible thanks to the generosity of our listeners. Show your support at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate.
2: This week on Meet
3: and 3, we're talking about comfort food as we explore its history, meaning, and different interpretations from around the world.
2: Domburi is just a simple, casual dish, but it's packed with the history. Somebody might have their comfort food be something that they remember eating at their friend's house, but they would never have at their own home. Consuming foods that were eaten then can bring back some of those feelings from, from those times. It's about creating these little breaks and moments during the day where you kind of feel present. Tune in to Meetin and Three, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen
3: to podcasts.
0: So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll, Lord knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs. His
3: Welcome back to The Speakeasy, I'm Souther Teague.
4: And I'm Greg Benson.
3: Hey Greg, how you doing today, buddy? Whew,
4: I am am still here, how about you, man?
3: Well, I think honestly, for the first time throughout COVID for sure, I can say that I feel a sense of relief. Uh, Yes. A a collective sigh of relief washed over, certainly New York, and it appears uh, the rest of the country, and frankly, it looks like the world uh, on Saturday. Uh, when we got some pretty positive news for the first time in in over eight months, and po- possibly uh, some of the best news we've gotten in four years.
4: Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you know, I want to. We've 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 all been through a lot since the last time you and i were in the virtual studio and obviously we have a lot to talk about in fact we just got some breaking news about bars as we sat down to record the show but but let's eat dessert first today because i feel yeah. like we've earned it you know what what did you where were you at uh, eleven twenty eight a.m this past saturday and what did you do
3: uh, well, let's see. I was, frankly, I was in bed. Um, I typically uh, set my alarm uh, on mornings after I worked the night before for eleven thirty, so my alarm hadn't even gone off yet. However, um, you know, I'm as a as a business operator, I have to be connected all the time, so my phone is just by the bed, and I'll ignore a, a ping. I'll ignore a couple of pings, but suddenly, my po- my phone was rattling and pinging and vibrating off the table. So I obviously uh, thought, for, my first thoughts, of course, were terrible things like, oh, you know, uh, the country's on fire. Because that's what your fire. Phone going
4: off means now, right?
3: Well, I mean, yeah, for, for this for this period, it's meant <laughs> that. Uh, but I was elated to see that friends, family, um, uh, co-workers, my partner was one of the first to text me, Ravi texted me just to say, uh, you know, they just announced, they just announced. So Biden, Harris, um, you know, announced the winners uh, on Saturday. Of course, it's being contested. and Of course, that's kind of de rigueur for politics today. But uh, it looks, uh, you know, like oh, it's an overwhelming um, victory that's not going to be overturned. You know, we're not going to be sitting on pins and needles until December twelfth, like we were back in two thousand. Um, so, you know, yeah, I was uh, I was in bed, so it was a pleasant way to wake up. Where were you?
4: I was I was also having a little bit of a lion. Um, my girlfriend Mandy had just left for work, so. I was like, you know, I mean, the last week had just been so draining that I was like, all right, I should get up, I should make myself breakfast, I should work out, I should take a shower, et cetera. So I should I should do basic human being shit, but I was just so drained. I was sitting there, I, was, I think I was watching Stephen Colbert on YouTube and all of a sudden out my window, because it was a beautiful fucking day here in New York, I started to hear people like going, woo, woo, and like car (laughs) horns and that that was when i was like i'm gonna refresh this new york times news page just just to see if this is what i think it is and it was the one for the
3: one millionth time right yeah
4: exactly i know yeah i flipped i flipped over the counter to one million refreshes and that was the one that did it but i i live on the fourth floor of my building so i ran up to the roof And I just sort of stood there like rose on the Titanic, just like, you know, arms out, just basking in this (laughs) wave of cheers and car horns. And like you said, just relief. It was so great Um, Then I took a bottle of cider down to the ground floor out in front of my building. The guys at the coffee shop below me were spraying around a bunch of champagne like they're LeBron James after the finals. Like it was just a good day. And I feel like we had almost forgotten what good news feels like. And it was really nice to just be like, ah, this, this is as nice as I remember it being,
3: Yeah, Yeah. I mean, same, you know, I'm, I'm over here in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Yeah. Lots of pots and pans banging just like it is every night at seven o'clock for the, uh, frontline workers, um, And yeah, not only was it a piece of good news, which is, uh, you know, a tasty morsel that we haven't been fed enough lately. I also feel that since then, because, you know, today is Wednesday, uh, Wednesday, uh, I feel that since then, uh, I haven't simply been bombarded with news. I feel like it's suddenly somewhat quiet, you know, that we're, are we past the storm, uh, you know, or is this just the eye? I don't know. But right now, I don't feel compelled to check the news, I don't feel, oh, what's what's happening now? Um, that sense of dread every time you open up your your email or, or get a text from from someone, you know. Like I, I feel, at least for the moment, it's calm.
4: I know it feels like we've just been letting the garbage in our apart in the apartments of our minds pile up and pile up and pile up and pile up, and finally some the garbage man finally showed up and it's and it's gone now and it's kind of like wow it's nice in here and it's clean and look at all this space i never had all this space in here yeah, before a little, this space a little, to you a little know de-
3: little decluttering
4: yeah very a very uh, much needed mental decluttering for sure
3: and then now to the uh so that was dessert first (laughs) Uh, where do we go from there Uh, a a spoonful of castor oil um so just before the show uh started today we got i got about 30 texts in in a matter of three minutes um apparently now new york uh, is being uh, we're slowly starting to phase backwards um due to numbers rising uh covid uh so starting friday today's wednesday so starting friday all um bars and restaurants in new york have to close by 10 pm that's backing us up by an hour um and actually in some ways two hours if you're doing any indoor seating uh, indoors at 25 percent has been allowed to go until midnight whereas outdoor on the street side has only been allowed to go till 11. Uh, now it's 10 for across the board so um, another uh, blow to the industry being levied today uh, in the face of the pandemic and you know Everyone has their opinions, of course, and and the sides that they fall on, and I've made it pretty clear across the board that mine has always been, I still don't think we should be here at all, um, but I'm forced to be here because the government deems me essential, uh, which I cannot wrap my mind around how, how alcohol is essential. It's certainly something I enjoy, but I don't think I would die without it. Um, but but because they deem me essential, then my landlord says, well, the government says you can open, and if you can open, you can pay me. Um, And I say, well, I don't want to open, and the landlord says, well, you still got to pay me. So uh, I'm trapped, Um, and that's how I stand on it. Uh, And we got one of my very good friends, neighbor and also business operator, hanging out with us in the virtual studio today, uh, and he wants to get in on this conversation and, 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 and throw some hands. Welcome to the room, Joaquin Simo. Good to see you. Good
2: to hear you anyway. How are you, buddy? I'm doing much better now. Um, I have to say, after Saturday, <laughs> there was a a pretty pretty massive uh, dose of relief. I think I, like many of us in New York City, um, had a pretty hell, hell of a great party uh, last Saturday. Well, it well, coincided with my birthday. Exactly. I was uh, going to say, coupled with your birthday, <laughs> like what a great yeah. gift uh, America gave you. I <laughs> uh, yep, I got for my 43rd birthday. I got a 46 president, and uh, uh, I was bad. very very excited about that not a bad haul no no not bad at all we it was it was pretty spectacular to wander down uh, the street to Brooklyn and then Manhattan on my birthday and just feel like eight and a half million people were celebrating with me. Uh, You know, you're just walking down the street and people are honking and cheering and screaming with joy.
3: Literally, we saw many videos literally dancing in the streets.
2: Oh, I I mean, I took part in a few of those uh, street side dance parties. I mean, it's my birthday. Hey, let's have a dance party. (laughs) Why not? Uh, Yeah, it was freaking great. Uh, Yeah, that was honestly a one of the few moments that I think I've been able to look at over the last uh, eight months now and be like, wow, that was happy. That was like okay. genuinely happy. <laughs> right. right, all right. Great. Remember, yeah. remember,
3: remember what happiness is? There, there
1: it is. <laughs> uh,
2: it's been a it's while. Like a,
3: the thorn being pulled from the paw, you know, that, that exactly. you know, you, you, you've, you've forgotten what it means to simply not have a dull ache. Um, Joaquin, you and I are pretty good friends. We've hung out and traveled uh, around together um, yep. and you're a good friend of the show you've been on before. Remind, uh, remind the listener who you are and what you do.
2: Um, I am the uh, one of the partners at Pouring Ribbons, a uh, cocktail bar in the East Village. It's been around uh, for the last eight years. Uh, before that, I was at Death & Co. as part of their opening staff. I did about five and a half years there, um, and I before did, that- You did about five years. It's like a sentence. No. I did my five years. No, you know, I mean,
3: it was I did, a, I, did a, I did a nickel at Death.
2: It was It was a great run, man. I had a blast over there. I wouldn't trade that for the world. Um, yeah. But, you know, and before that, I'd worked in Boston um, in, like, pubs and rock and roll bars and stuff like that. I usually tell people I learned how to bartend in Boston. I learned how to make drinks in New York.
3: Yeah. Yeah. That that adds up to me. Yeah. Uh, and you're a, pr- a pretty smart fellow as well. Uh, educated man, as it were. Um, got a degree in both English and religion. That's pretty cool. Um, I like to read. Yeah. I, I, I think, um, you know... Just a quick side note, Blake Walker, who's the head bartender for me at Amoria Margo, he, he has a dual degree in music and religion. And, uh, and I can see some parallels in, in what he says when I asked him, why those two things specifically together? Uh, and I can see some parallels in what you, do, what, what you did as well and how it's working out for your career. Uh, he said, I, I wanted to travel the world, and I knew that anywhere I went, I could talk about either music or religion. So I feel like uh, being able to talk about religion and being able to talk about it well has uh, probably opened a lot of
2: doors for you. Yeah, I mean, I think if, if nothing else, people, um, people are surprised when someone understands the context around what they're talking about. Even if I may not have, you know, this exhaustive knowledge on all facets of what they're doing, I may know enough to ask a good question. And oftentimes that's enough for someone to feel like they're being heard or to f- for them to then start filling in those blanks for you. You know, it's not about knowing all this stuff. It's kind of knowing, knowing what you don't know and knowing how to ask.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's, that that's what we do when we corral people and drive them through their experience at our bars, right? We, we, we try and understand that they don't understand what they, what they want and that we know we, we have the knowledge to get it to them. There's a bridge that has to be gapped though. Um, but I asked you to be on the show because you came into my spot the other day, uh, last week, maybe before your birthday. Uh, and, and you seemed a little, uh, to use a, your word, you seemed a little salty. Um, and you wanted to talk about some things that are going on um so let's talk about them and you sent over over some some notes that are that are i think in pretty good order so let's go straight down your list here and talk about kind of the breakdown of the the, the profit and loss numbers uh, at your bar pouring ribbons uh great bar uh and and what economic impact a single cocktail bar can have and, and and then how that's been disrupted so much
2: by by the pandemic yeah i mean it's i think it's really important um when we're looking at these at these businesses, that they are really businesses, right? I mean, we've been in bars that were packed night in, night out that, you know, go out of business in eight months or a year. And you're like, wow, that place was always so busy. What's that? How, how did they go under? You're like, well, because they weren't profitable, right? And you could be busy and not be profitable. You could be relatively slow and be very profitable. You know, it's a matter of how you control your costs. It's a matter of... Uh, I mean, none of that is fun or sexy, but I mean, it's the truth, you know, you can run a, on what looks like a very busy bar and that may not translate into your bottom line at all. And I've been very fortunate to have, um, a business partner, Jason Cott, and our bookkeeper, Keith Harmon, and the two of them started a company called, um, Alchemy Financial. Uh, and I met Keith, uh, who's a bookkeeper, um, when he sat at my bar, he was sitting at service at the service in front of the service well at Death and Co. When I was still working there, and we had a really lovely night. Uh, he was such a nice guy, and he said, "Hey, man, if you ever open a bar, I would love to set up your books for you because if you get that set up right in the beginning, it sets you up for success long term." I brought it up to Jason. Those two hit it off. So when it was time to open up Pouring Ribbons, we had. You know, both someone who knew how to set up our books in the best way and a very canny and savvy operator from a business point. So, you know, we've always been pretty open and honest with our staff about what the, uh, the p and look like. We, um, Jason, uh, would teach classes for the staff uh, periodically once or twice a year um about how to read a PL statement, about how, you know, what are the things like why do I yell at you guys about putting too many crackers in there? You know, why why, why do we keep reaffirming this? Well he goes through a PNL statement and teaches them how to read it, uh, which I think is an incredibly important thing and something that, you know, a lot of people can barely read, you know, the recipe sheets to say nothing of a PL statement, you know, and make headers or sense of it. So it's a really, really good thing to be able to look at some of these numbers and when I was looking at our numbers, there were just some things that really stood out to me. And then I had a conversation with Keith yesterday, kind of in preparation for this. So I wanted to talk a little bit more and kind of get a, uh, a more macro view of these micro numbers that I was looking at. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there. Like I remember thinking just like, what do we do in terms of like payroll tax? Like how much have we put into something like payroll tax over the last eight years? And that answer is just under $200,000, which is not a small amount of money. You know, we have spent um, to you know, booze purveyors, whether that's beer, wine, or hard alcohol, we've spent about 1.4 million. Uh, When I'm thinking about local businesses, like a linens company, pest control, CO2 tanks, printing, flowers and decoration, menu design, that's another 55 grand. Just bar produce, lemons, limes, mint, cucumber, et cetera, stuff like that, 200 grand. Bar dry goods, 42 grand. We've spent 190,000 on our local security firm, 221,000 for our porter services. Um, Barware and glassware, which we buy mostly locally, uh, is another 74,000. And to have our trash and our recycling taken Uh, we've spent just under 60 grand over the last few years. And, you know, if you look at it over eight years, you're like, oh, okay, well, I can kind of see where that breakdown is. We're one bar. We don't really have like, we, we don't have like a huge linens need at our bar. We had cheese and charcuterie. So it's not like we had a lot of, uh, things like that. We're a relatively small, self-contained bar that really just focused on cocktails and ran with a lean staff. And there's 4,500 bars like this in the city. So when you start multiplying this by 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, those numbers start to get huge. And these are the businesses that I feel like are being ignored in this. Um, So I think maybe the first thing I should have said was that I don't, um, I think first of all, restaurants, fall into this category as well but i feel like restaurants have gotten really 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 good pr and i think there's a lot of sympathy around restaurants i think if you are a mom-and-pop restaurant independently run restaurant i feel like there's been a lot of um attention put on your plate uh and i think that's totally valid and i am a thousand percent support of all of that um what i am what i was so salty about was that there are bars that don't have kitchens there are bars that don 't serve food right there are nightclubs there are performance venues there are uh, performance art spaces and art venues uh, that don't serve food and they have been left completely out in the cold uh, right in this. Because, They're because,
3: just because, yeah. because under the new mandate you have to serve food right and if those places don 't have the facilities to do that uh what's the you know what's the impetus for creating those facilities, which are again going to be a cost. Uh, just to to carry on. So we're seeing a lot of them just fall by the wayside. A lot
2: of them. And I think, look, I I get that, you know, not every business is going to survive this. But I feel like what's been making me increasingly upset is that there is no, there doesn't seem to be anyone uh, who seems to be lamenting the loss of bars and clubs and like nightlife uh, in general. And I think that is a huge huge, huge mistake. Uh, and so I wanted to kind of talk about why I think that's such a mistake. And I wanted to highlight a couple things about like even my own small bar and Barring Ribbons has done well over the years, you know, but we're not one of those bars that was like packed to the gills every night. We weren't like an EO or something like that. we were just always busy. You could walk into our bar and be like, oh, it's kind of quiet in here. You know, it's a Tuesday. It's not going to be that busy. You know, maybe that Thursday was going to be much busier. Right. Or the weekends were generally fine. But I mean, we weren't a bar that was like packed to the gills every night. I mean, like we were a, you know, pretty, pretty successful bar who, who did well. But I mean, we weren't jam packed. So this isn't I, I don't want any of these numbers to be like, oh, well, that's some super aspirational stuff. I think our numbers were pretty achievable. Mod-
3: yeah. Modest and
2: achievable. For yeah. Sure. I don't know. I, I just, I just want to make sure that that's clear, that I don't think that this is something that is crazy aspirational. I mean, we can't all do what some of those bars that are just so busy all the time are. And I I think it's unfair always to hold yourself to that standard. Um, So it's it's not that. But I feel like we have done pretty damn well over the last eight years. And it doesn't look like there's a really good roadmap towards us coming back unless we, uh, you know, have to institute a a food program of some sorts and I'm terrified of doing that because the DOH is just going to come in and find the shit out of us for whatever it is we're doing wrong now with food um, and what the issues will be with that so that just seems punitive Um, and not to mention we'd have to upgrade a hundred plus years buildings uh, filtration and HVAC Uh, we have less than two years left on our lease Um, you know that's that's kind of a considerable expense uh, to be putting in so I feel like There's when I start thinking about like, what is the roadmap for coming back? You know, that's not entirely clear. And then also when I start thinking about, you know, what's happening in terms of, you know, we we have no visible, we have no storefront in the front, we can't really use the outside uh, to do anything. Uh, we don't have the frontage for it. We have no outdoor space. Otherwise, uh, indoor dining at twenty five percent. We don't have food, and twenty five percent is just not worth it. And then we still have to make those upgrades that I talked about. So it's it's a little frightening for me as an operator who's done well. Um, that this is all going to seemingly go away, and no one seems to care. And it's not just yeah, it's not just bars. It's also, these other venues and that is so important. And I feel like it's, we, we talk a lot about like, damn that Thai restaurant closed or, Oh, my favorite taco spot closed. You're like, what about that? What about that really cool club that you used to go to it Was the one where you met like a whole different set of friends that yeah. you would have never met anywhere else. Like there's real value in that. Um,
3: yeah. Joaquin, I feel like uh, that that's going to come later. People currently uh, in New York and probably everywhere that are having to deal with these sorts of lockdowns due to this terrible crisis that we're facing um, are still, you know, somewhat ordering food. You know, you eat every day. Uh, uh, you don't necessarily drink every day, uh, like me. Um, <laughs> but but they're ordering the food, and they they don't they aren't they aren't grappling with the reality that their restaurants aren't coming back yet. And what we're going to see, I think, is when. We are allowed to be back to some sort of capacity that does make it worth it for a bar like yours to reopen um, and and you know maybe not make it. Uh, that's when people are going to lament. It's going to be too late. They don't know it yet. They don't feel it yet. They don't sense it yet. Um, this is a, a moment we need to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. But when we come back, we're going to keep talking about Joaquin and his uh, very raw transparency about what's going on through all of this stuff. So stay tuned. There's There's plenty more to come.
1: All of us at HRN have been keeping busy, despite working and recording from home. This fall, we're proud to announce new shows on the network that each bring important and enlightening stories to listeners around the world. While the world is in turmoil and the future of our country is uncertain, there are certain constants that help keep us going. For us, food and storytelling are essential. While we can't come together in person, food podcasts from HRN provide a virtual table we can all gather around. Bringing exceptional stories to your ears and keeping you informed on the ever-changing political and environmental issues of our time is integral to our mission. At a time when the world around us is rapidly changing, HRN is committed to being here for our listening community, and we need you to be here for us. Join our table and help ensure the future of food radio by becoming a member of HRN. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to make a contribution. Check out the latest additions to our lineup while you're there. You can see all of our series at heritageradionetwork.org slash new show.
4: And we're back. You were listening to The Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. Today we're talking with a giant of the bar industry, Joaquin Simo. And uh, before we left, we were talking a little bit about how uh, these places are kind of being left. A lot of the spots that we've been talking about, uh, you know, bars... Uh, nightclubs, music venues, performance spaces are being left in a lot of ways to wither on the vine. And I, I want to ask you to speculate a little bit here, Joaquin, about why that is. You know, it's like you were saying, it's like people always get upset when their favorite, you know, taco joint or their favorite Thai place closes down. And yet there doesn't seem to be the same level of concern for these other types of third places. And I and I want to ask you to, you know, put on your sociologist hat for a second and sort of talk a little bit about why that might be.
2: Well, I think the, the obvious thing is that you can still get a taco to go. You can still get, you know, your... Uh, your cow soy, you know, and that's okay. But you can't go dancing, right? So it's not even people aren't thinking like, oh, well, I can, I can go do this or I can do it. Like, they're not necessarily thinking that that's even a possibility. So I think it's a little bit of out of sight, out of mind. Um, and I want to be absolutely clear here: I don't think that we should be opening up bars and nightclubs right now. I don't think they're a safe environment to be in. I really and truly. I like, I'd, I'm not doing indoor dining, uh, as in I'm not going to restaurants and eating indoors uh, because it no, frightens yeah, nor, me. Yeah, nor am I. Absolutely agree. I, it absolutely frightens me. And I and that's one of the reasons why I'm very reluctant to reopen the bar is because if I am terrified to be in a restaurant for an hour or an hour and a half, then how do I turn to my staff and say, hey, uh, why don't you uh, go in there and do a 10-hour shift? I I, that doesn't ring well you know that doesn't sit well with me and so I get that and I'm not advocating a a reopening of these places before there's a vaccine or until we have you know a certain level of like we can let people be near each other again because these are environments that are designed for human interaction that is their entire reason for existing is to force people together right and I get that that's incredibly responsible right now so again the the reason i'm angry is not because i think that we should be able to go dancing right now at our favorite nightclubs i'm upset because i feel like every time that bars or nightclubs even get mentioned which is nearly never by politicians by media members it's always with this sneering disdain it's always Mm -hmm. with this just like oh those dens of iniquity Ugh, it's just where people go to ruin their lives. It's like, that's not fair. That is not remotely fair. And the reason is our economic impact doesn't bear that out. We are not just dens of iniquity. And even if we were, these dens of iniquity are contributing huge, huge numbers to our economy. So it doesn't make sense to want to close these places down and not have them come back, because right now we're looking at an enormous, enormous economic impact during a time where we've already seen so many businesses go down. I mean, if you're looking at um, nightlife just in New York City, there's more than 25,000 nightlife establishments uh, that supported around 300,000 jobs, $13 billion in employee compensation and $35 billion in total economic output. That yielded almost $700 million in tax revenue per year. Okay, you can do a lot of work on the L train with $700 million in tax revenue. All right, like that's not a small thing. You know, this is an enormous amount of people who work. We're a city of eight and a half million people. There's A lot of people who are working uh, in food service, in bars, in the arts, in venues, um, in sports and recreation, which even includes stuff like bowling alleys and pool halls and stuff like that. So, I mean, all of these things are wrapped up under this nightlife impact and it is, you know... 6.2 billion dollars 7.4 billion in employee compensation another 19 billion in economic output here we're looking at um ancillary impacts on new york city's economy right there's additional spending on things like retail transportation hotels and other lodging you have a bunch of other things where people are coming to the city uh, to go, be able to go to these bars, to be able to go to these clubs that are able, you know, to go to these performance spaces, that is where that all comes from, right? I mean, if you're looking at losing two, nearly $2 billion in tax revenues to New York City and state, whether that's employee taxes, sales taxes, liquor taxes, hotel taxes, I mean, you are looking at billions of dollars at a time when everyone is saying, hey, the city coffers are running dry. What are we going to do? Well, here's a good idea. Maybe you don't ignore one of your most lucrative drivers of revenue. I don't think that's crazy. I mean, I'm again, I'm not saying go pack a nightclub right now. But we should be talking about what we can be doing to help support these places so that when it's safe for them to reopen, they still exist. And their staff and their bills have been able to have been paid and met over this time so that when it's when it's safe, we can still have these things, because they're really, really, really important. Um, And so like that, when we're looking at those numbers, I mean, that just it blows me out of the water that they can so callously disregard us in public, when when you actually start looking at what that economic impact is, you realize how critical we really are, you know, and that's just pure numbers. That's not even like, oh, well, you know, I met my girlfriend at a at a club once, you know? Like, I'm not talking about like some hazy memory of a good time back in the day. I'm talking about like real numbers that are based on like what we need. And right now, like the city is in dire need of revenue. And, you know, we can't ignore these businesses that are able to provide it in so many different ways and that have such an inordinate impact on the city's global reputation as yeah, well. Fur-
3: I feel like the further away we get from being able to come back strong and healthy uh, and go back to business, the further away we get from it, the harder it's going to be to do when we are allowed. So when those restrictions are finally lifted, when consumer confidence is finally high enough to pack into a small bar uh, like mine or a more spacious bar like yours, when those things are ready to happen, are the businesses going to be uh, fiscally healthy enough or and or are they going to be you know ready to jump back in and turn the lights back on uh you know everything went off like a light switch it's going to be more like a dimmer switch to turn everything back on exactly
2: yeah it's going to be really really tricky and i don't think that there's an easy way out of this for really any industry i think we're all going to be recover this is going this has affected us all and in ways that the impact of this we won't even know until you know a few years from now when we're really able uh to look back with any sort of clarity but it's enormous the amount of small businesses that have been shuttered permanently already uh as a result of this is terrifying i mean there's so many uh so many little businesses that you've already just seen I Where was this stat? It was terrible Um, because it was a a Yelp stat uh, that I found. Um, As of August in New York, there were – that were rated as bars and nightclubs. There were 6,451 that had closed on, on the Yelp platform that were listed as closed with 54 of those saying they were closed permanently. I mean, that's a lot of business. If you're looking at more than 3,000 of these that have already shuttered and we're only eight months in and no one has any idea when (laughs) when a vaccine is coming, I mean, those numbers are already past a critical point. I mean, that is a... Agreed.
3: Agreed. And we're also sitting, you know, on the edges of our seat waiting for a vaccine to come, but we're sitting on the edges of those seats like we're at the movie theater where the vaccine comes and then it's a sunny day, Uh, you know, to create it, to manufacture it, to build that many doses, to package that many doses, to put them into trucks and planes and cars and deliver them, to actually administer them. Like, we're... Even if it was today it was approved, we're still a year away from getting it into everybody's veins. Yeah. Um, And I don't think that we're planning accordingly you know we're we're looking for that magic wand to wave and have it all sort of just be over
2: i mean i wish i wish we could wish it away i wish it was that easy where you know someone clicks their heels three times and all of a sudden you know we're (laughs) we're not in covid land anymore but that's just not the president's
4: been doing that every morning for the past eight months yeah Yeah. and look at how well that's gone
3: i mean (laughs) you pulled up that stat from yelp and you know i keep referring back to a, uh, a, an article from the NRA, the good one, the National Restaurant Association, <laughs> where uh, they predicted, a couple of months ago, they predicted that uh, by January, 85, that's 85, 85% of all sole proprietorships in the hospitality sector will be closed by January. And at first I thought, that seems crazy, that's egregious, that's over the top. And then I looked at my own portfolio where I've closed four of my five bars since January I'm back down to just one. Uh, four out of five, that's 80%. I'm right in the pocket of that that uh, that statistic. So, you know, it's brutal. And uh, it, you're right, it's, it's made you salty, it's made me salty. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like we're not being paid enough attention or getting enough relief. And I feel, uh, as you've kind of outlined so far, that that's gonna, it already is causing lots of problems. But even when it's time to restart this engine, uh, and start driving revenue again, um, we're not gonna be ready because we haven't been supported. I feel currently like I'm simply marching off uh, to the fight uh, and I'm exhausted from the march and I haven't even arrived at the
2: fight. God, it's, it's just exhausting, isn't it? So you just said you've closed four out of five venues. So that's four fewer P&Ls that you have to go over. Um, but if you were to look at those P&Ls, this is what you you'd be finding out is now missing, due to four out of those five going under. Right, so uh, it's hard to just look at a PNL and kind of it's never going to fully capture the economic and social impact of a small business. So if we just want to look at a breakdown of how each dollar of sales on an income statement translates into local and national economies, um and how kind of those monies are deployed, right? So for every dollar of sales that would be on the PL of one of your five uh, establishments, you would have had 25 cents of that would have probably gone to roughly cost of goods sold, right? And a good chunk of that would have been, the purchasing of that would have been biased towards local vendors. Yep. Uh, and hopefully things like responsible and sustainable producers, uh, which are supporting their uh, local uh, economies as well. So, I mean, it's a difference between picking, you know, the biggest brand versus a smaller boutique brand, a local farm versus, you know, uh, big agriculture, you know, small businesses like ours end up working with smaller local producers far more often. So we are an integral cog in that supply chain, right? Another Yeah, 20... yeah. Small,
3: bus- small businesses are inclined to work with small businesses. That exactly.
2: Perfect yeah. sense to me so i mean we're already helping other small businesses exist simply by us being in operation right so that's the first quarter another 25 cents goes to payroll obviously those are local residents right so you're putting money directly into the pockets of people who will then spend it locally another 20 cents uh in tips right so it's a transfer of funds from customers facilitated by the hospitality business, again, going into the pockets of people who will be spending locally. Um, And, you know, some percentage of that will go directly to the nearest dive bar across the street at the end of every shift. Uh, It's a very quick and effective (laughs) local transfer of monies. Um, You have another three cents in employment taxes, right? And that goes to support Social Security, Medicare, uh, state and federal unemployment funds. Right. You have 12 and change cents that are going into local and national taxes that are paid by employees. Um, so, you know, that is roughly 5% local taxes of pro forma, 20% federal, right? When you're looking at social security, you're looking at Medicare rates, all of that. So another like 12 ish cents goes to there. Roughly 10 cents goes to your landlord. Um, you know, hopefully you're not doing more than 10% of your, um, of your costs on, on rent uh, You then have State sales tax in New York Is 8.875% So that's just under $0.09 cents Out of every dollar And then you have uh, Another $0.20 cents that are going to other venues In the direct operating, admin And kind of like general repairs and maintenance Advertising and sales uh, Kind of promotion buckets I mean these are generally You're working with people in your community Right? And then
0: well, well sure. Like you,
3: even you, even you at Boring Ribbons. Uh, I know that you used to hire uh, one of your own employees to to do the design work on your menus, right? So yeah, absolutely. And, we had Amanda
2: Elder for the first few years, uh, who was doing well. The original uh, design work had been done by Warren Red, which is a local design firm, and then Amanda Elder, who was uh, part of our opening staff and was with us for four years. Uh, was also a graphic designer so she did all the maintenance and the upkeep and when we switched to the themed menu she was the one who did uh the first few of the themed menus and then we had rachel Galia, who was another staffer of ours who was also a graphic designer who then took over in that role for us i mean we've, we've certainly local operated locally i mean it was under our own roof right um so that was great and then really what that leaves you is you have about another like seven and a half cents and you know that's your profit you know, it's, not, <laughs> it's yeah. not not. a ton there <laughs> out yeah. of that dollar. That's, that's,
3: I, the, I that's, the really, re- that's the big reveal to everybody who wants to go into this business,
2: right? Can seven, we just puncture, <laughs> puncture this myth of bar and nightclub owners being these, like, hospitality Scrooge McDucks? I have never once come home and dove into a giant pool of money. It has never happened. <laughs> it has just never happened. I don't know any <laughs> any bar owners who routinely do this. Like we Not even are, this
4: past Saturday for your birthday, not just yeah, one time. N- not
2: even then, you know? <laughs> like we just don't like we have for our business model our um, our net profit we're on 18-19%, which is high high for our business for making craft cocktails which is expensive to make like we have great great margins on that for our business that's really really solid but at the end of the day what that really translates into is roughly seven seven and a half um percent profits i mean at the end of the day you could be doing everything right you could have a reasonably busy bar you could have a really efficient great cost effective business model that Allows you to make very strong margins, and you're still not at the end of the day making a ton of money. But if we ignore where that just that dollar is, for every dollar in sales in a small business, there is one, there's almost a dollar 32 in economic activity created. Okay, that is a very, very, very big. of difference there right because small businesses at each decision at each decision point they tend to choose those local responsible decent trade partners right like that's who we're doing business with right we're not just simply saying who can get me stuff the cheapest right there are times where we're spending more because we believe in the people with whom we want to do business with right and so we spend more even if we know that there's a cheaper way of doing it right it is more expensive to have a shirt made on 37th Street in the garment district than it is to have it made in Southeast Asia and shipped around the world. Right? I mean there's there's a, but there are some people who would rather have their shirts made on 37th Street and it's simply going to be a more expensive shirt or your profit margin is going to go down. Right. So, I mean, this is an important thing when we think about where that money is going to end up. Right. Because the more of it that ends up in just kind of these big bland multinationals, then that money doesn't have that same trickle down effect in our own local economies. Right. So in that sales dollar, 45 cents of it goes to local employees. Roughly 24 cents goes to tax agencies, and that helps to support social safety nets and other functions. 45 cents goes into other small local businesses and you have another like 17 and 5 cents of it that goes to owners. If you're thinking about a landlord and a business owner together who are partners in this space, right? One of them owns it, the other one operates it. So in a perfect world, you know, the landlord and the business owner are not adversarial. They are, you know, you have a space, I have a, an idea, you yes, know, symbiotic. we're gonna work together. It should be that way, right? And, and I'll be honest with you, Our landlord, Dr. Kim, has been wonderful with us. So I'm not here to complain about my landlord. He has been a class act throughout this whole thing. And we have been really lucky because I have not heard many of my peers say anything like that. So we have been really, really lucky. But when I think about it, like, you know, if we close, that impact doesn't just affect me, it's going to affect Ola Clark, who's a single mother of four, who started a porter service when I asked her to uh, because she was such a great cleaning lady. My then-girlfriend, now wife, when we were moving in together said, if we are going to move in together, we're going to need to get someone who's going to clean the apartment regularly because you always complain (laughs) about cleaning because, you know, you break down a bar five, six nights a week. The last thing you want to do when you get home on on a day off is scrub a tub. Right? So I was like, uh, I don't know. You know, this is going to be. So why don't we just get someone in there? We, had, we found an amazing uh, woman. She was so freaking fantastic. Uh, a single mom of four from Trinidad. Just this wonderful, incredible, one of the most hardworking women I've ever met. And when it was time for me to open a bar, I said, Ola, if you can find people who can work overnight shifts, there is a whole lot of bars out there. Do a good job with pouring rivers and we'll see if we can't get you more business. And she set up a different part of her cleaning business. She'd been doing some commercial work in like retail spaces and offices, but this was a very different side of it. So we helped her set that up, you know, like I don't want to not give her money. I know her kids, they're wonderful people. Like we want to keep supporting local businesses like this. And that's that kind of economic impact that gets just, it doesn't even get acknowledged when people are like, oh yeah, those dens of iniquity."
3: Like, yeah, those are those are like the soft numbers, right? That, that, that They're hard to define. But the fact is you just described that not only do you um, uh, bias towards other small businesses, you're willing to look into
2: creating a small business to fill the need that you seek. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's and that can be a great impetus uh, for people. If someone says, well, I didn't know if that was a thing. You're like, no, I'm telling you it's a thing. There's money to be made there, you know. It'll take some more work, but if you can put in some work and find some good people, then do a good job in you know use us as a trial run. And if anyone ever if anyone ever says, "Hey, I'm looking for a porter," I'll be like, "I've got just the one for you." And hopefully, we can keep drumming this up. So you know, we are always as small business owners helping set up local distillers, local brewers. Like we're pumping money back in to our local economies in ways that I don't feel is being appreciated or discussed. Um, and it's really, it's painful because I don't know, man, I, I love, I grew up in Miami. Miami is a super late night town you know and people people don't get into the shower to go out until like 11 o'clock on a, you know in Miami like I mean you're it's a very very late night city you know it's very very late night and I, I love that and I remember when I you know I moved to Boston when I was 19 and I remember the first time I went to a club it was like one thirty, and all the lights came on I was like oh shit is there like a fire drill like what's going on like what's happening so like you know we're here they're like, no, 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 you have to leave your drink. Cause I go out the door, and on my way out, I asked the bouncer, I'm like, dude, what? Like, how long do you think this is gonna last? Like, when do we get back in? They're like, dude, we're closed. I'm like, what? But this is a, this is a club. It's it's one thirty. I just got here an hour ago, and I thought I was here early. <laughs> like, oh no no, this is the end of your night here. You know, and like that. I that's. You know, then then I discovered there was a great after-hours bar scene in Boston that, that helped. But um, but New York is one of those, like, all-night cities, right? That's always been one of the appeals, the city that never sleeps, right? It's an integral part of the global reputation of what it is that brings people to uh, to move here, right? If you're a kid in Scranton, Pennsylvania or Lubbock, Texas, right, you're looking around your hometown thinking... This is not my place. These are not my people, you know? I wanna, I wanna go to a city where I can pursue my dream of being a burlesque performer or an aerialist or a DJ or a choreographer or a performance artist or a musician, a lighting designer, a makeup artist, a set builder, right? I mean, there's a million things that could draw someone here. Right. And a lot of the time that thing that they're coming to pursue may not even be their actual job. It's just the passion that they're pursuing. They're not even lucky enough to be able to make a living doing the thing that they moved here to do. So what do they usually end up doing? They end up working in bars and restaurants and nightclubs as well. Right. So these people are doubly fucked. Because now, not only can they not do the thing that brought them to New York, right? They, they have lost the House of Yes where they could do a performance. They've lost um, elsewhere where they used to go and do this thing. Like, they've lost these spaces, you know? Like, if you were a local DJ and you could count on maybe spinning at Jupiter Disco, you know, every other week, then, you know, that was a place where you were able to find a community and create a community, around there right i mean a new york city without artists is not a terribly interesting new york city i don't think anyone is going to look at a new york city that is full of chain restaurants and bars and you know and tech startup engineers and think oh wow i can't wait to move to that exorbitantly expensive yet bland city (laughs) like who wants that no one wants that Certainly, right. no,
3: certainly, none of us. No. And likely, unlikely, and not many of our listeners. But hopefully, this uh, episode will penetrate through to folks who are outside of our bubble, and they can have a better understanding. And I really appreciate your candor and 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 the way you you've been really honest about talking about all this. Uh, do you have any kind of silver lining? What do you what do you what, what do you think we can do? Is there action we can take?
2: Well, there's. There are some groups that are trying to do some good work. Um, New York has recently, I think in the last year and a half, um, Ariel Pallets uh, is uh, the nightlife mayor, effectively. Uh, There is the Office of Nightlife, which is a very recently created part of our local government. Uh, And she used to run, I think it was Karma in the East Village. Um, I forget what club it was. Um, So, you know, she understands the business. She understands uh, what's going on in there. She's an ally in this fight. Uh, You obviously have, you know, groups that um, have been doing work in a more general way, like the New York City Hospitality Alliance, uh, the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation. um, But then also you have stuff like the NYC Nightlife United and NYC Nightlife Advisory Board. Uh, which are also doing really good work in a slightly more focused on this kind of venue thing. The New York Independent Venue Association is another really great one. And Brooklyn Allied Bars and Restaurants is another great one to seek out and support. Um, and obviously within all that, you also have stuff like um, the the Restaurants Act uh, that is, you know, currently stalled out in Congress. Um, there is the what's the other one? The Restart Act, uh, which is kind of a that near term fix to pick the uh, to fix the PPP program. Um, but really, I think there's a lot of things that we can start pressuring our our local and national politicians to consider. Um, I think we can certainly think about uh, you know if 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 there's no. Political capital will be spent on a direct handout or on a loan with fewer stipulations than kind of the way the PPP was set up, which was really for factory owners, not for other types of businesses. Uh, I think that would obviously be a great thing. Um, PPP was very challenging for small businesses uh, because of the ongoing lack of clarity, right, from, from the gift and how you were gonna get it. I mean, you, yeah, that initial application process was so complicated. It was so difficult, the numbers you had to pull together, that if you're an average small business owner, especially if English is not your first language, trying to pull that stuff together is just not gonna happen, right? So once you, even if you were able to get the application, maybe you were able to get the money, now there is so much opacity around what the, how it's being forgiven, what's going on. The banks were the middlemen in this don't even have answers. You have loan officers at banks who are like shrugging their shoulders at you. Like, yeah, they haven't really told us either. So no one is being clear on this. So like just even clearing these things up and being public and proactive about getting this information out there so that it's usable because if you are already racking up debt and now you have this thing that you were hoping would be forgiven, you know, you really want to make sure that you know if that's going to be forgiven or not right so if yeah or it could be the it could be the straw that breaks the camel's back exactly um and you know look again if you don't want to give money to you know the bar owners or the nightclub owners okay I, i get that i see where that could be a hard sell um when there's so much money that needs to go to other things as well right i get that but how about a how about an arrangement where money can go to landlords for these operations so that they're not going into debt simply paying their rent on venues that aren't allowed to be open or more directly to the banks that are holding the mortgages on those buildings that those landlords are you know, desperate to not lose their, their stake in, right? So again, there's a way that we can do this where it's, I'm not saying give me a handout, I'm saying give me an opportunity to allow my business to survive long enough for me to start ramping it back up and doing those things, right? Removing personal guarantees on a lot of these like leases. I mean, I think it was Gabe Stolman from Little Wisco Group who had this terrifying letter. I mean, it was fucking heartbreaking about how scared he was that he was going to be held personally liable for the balance on the leases of these businesses that were shuttered without his control. And he's like, these landlords want to hold me on the hook for the balance of these leases. Like, that's going to put me into unbelievable amounts of personal debt. Like, that's insane. Like, we should not be worried about being saddled with crippling personal debt that would basically remove our ability to, whenever we move past this, actually try to give it another go. Again, I mean, there's, there's got to be some humanity into this legislation because the amount of people that this affects um, is enormous and then we've seen how big an economic driver these small businesses are right so I mean if there's four or five thousand of them in here and you start doing the multiplication on the numbers that I gave you for my kind of small potatoes bar we're representing a lot of money and I, I feel like that's not getting emphasized enough like I, I want all those restaurants to be able to come back. But I feel like the bars and the clubs really do have their place, you know? These are, these are things that it's sometimes hard to quantify what it is that, that made those places resonate so much for you. But I mean, I think for, for a lot of people, they end up being safe spaces, you know? And I think that's a, that can be a hard thing to find in a big alienating city. Of eight and a half million people, but I think people when they find it in the city, they gravitate and that could be your local you know your local dive bar where they've got the beer cap popped off by the time your second foot hits the ground. you know maybe it was that that club that always was introducing you to new genres of music you know it could be could be a place where you were able to find you know people who were like you maybe uh, it's a queer community it's a trans community. And you're able to feel safe and accepted and you know like that's a place for you to be there like that's where those things happen they happen in nightlife and those are incredibly important places uh, for uh, for marginalized groups for struggling groups for I mean we can't make this city just about real estate developers and eye bankers that's not an interesting New York City okay. right. Joaquin, uh we're out
3: of time, but man, this has been a powerfully uh informative and and somewhat emotional episode I, Uh you know, you have I can tell you have so much more to say and we want to hear it. So, I'm going to you know, I'm going to say maybe continue celebrating what we've been celebrating this past weekend, your birthday, uh and let's maybe get you back on the show in a couple weeks to to talk about what 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 the future holds. I think we got right up to today, and I'd love to continue the conversation to talk to you about what the future holds. But as it stands, we are out of time uh, on this episode of The Speakeasy. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody, uh, and uh, stay tuned for the next episode. We'll see you soon. Cheers, guys.
0: Cheers. Thanks, everybody. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country muse is going to save your soul. The rebel bunces groove in them rhythm.
3: the speakeasy is powered by SimpleCast. thanks for listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio you can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network
0: heritage radio network is a non-profit organization